Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau. I'm Dan Pfeiffer. On the pod today, we are talking to former Attorney General and the chair of the National Democratic Redistricting Committee, Eric Holder. And later, we'll talk to the host of Crooked Media's with friends like these, Anna Marie Cox. Be sure to download Pod Save the World this week. Tommy has a great conversation with former Ambassador Susan Rice. Go get yourself some merch. We have Repeal and Go Fuck Yourself t-shirts and Friend of the Pod t-shirts on sale until July 10th, which is coincidentally when the uh, House and Senate get back from their July 4th recess. And that's that. You got any announcements, Dan? How are you doing? I feel great. Yeah. I was in Canada for the 4th of July. Our neighbors to the north are doing great. How? Yeah, is there's, you know, Justin Trudeau's just trolling us about what a wonderful government they have compared to ours. Yeah, they, they definitely feel pretty excited to be finally at the top of the most functioning North American democracies. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been 150 years in the waiting that they've gotten here. Been trying to nab that top spot for a long time. Yeah. Okay, so let's begin today with President of the United States' press conference that he gave in Warsaw, Poland this morning, where he attacked the American media, America's intelligence agencies, and the last American president, all while standing next to a right-wing nationalist leader, the Polish uh, leader of Poland, whose party has manipulated the Polish press and attacked the courts. What do you think of that press conference, Dan? <laughs> you know, this was the first time, I th- probably in the Trump presidency, where I was sitting around on a Wednesday trying to think about what to put in the outline mm-hmm. and sh- struggling because... We had a podcast on Thursday. You guys had a bonus podcast on Saturday. It was kind of a, a holiday weekend. Podcast comes out Monday, Thursday, Tuesday, the 4th of July, Wednesday, Trump's on a plane. I'm like, what the fuck are we going to talk about? And I cobbled together some shit. And then I woke up this morning to find that our, our president never lets us down. He found, <laughs> a, he, had, he found a way in a brief press conference to appease Putin, attack the U.S. media, attack... Barack Obama, and basically kind of seemed like a numbskull. And so, two, thanks, two, Trump, I guess. Two, two things I want to bring up from the press conference. Um, well, first of all, uh, I noticed Tommy tweeted that uh, 50% of the questions he took were from reporters who actually tried out for jobs in the Trump administration in the press office. So that happened. So first he did, he went on a, a tear uh, on CNN, of course, um, an employer of yours. He says, CNN has been fake news for a long time. Do you have that also, Mr. President? Um, which is great to say to someone who has also uh, manipulated the media in his own country. And then he said, NBC is equally as bad, despite the fact that I made them a fortune with The Apprentice. First of all, I don't want to just glide past the fact that basically Trump said if you make a media organization money, they should give you favorable coverage. <laughs> let's let's not just glide past that crazy statement, right? I don't know. What did you think about this? Do you think it, he's he's definitely continuing his his war on CNN, which we know from the White House that uh, it's a strategy of theirs to uh, to fight with CNN. They think that that's that's a better fight to pick than even with uh, with Joe and Mika. So um, yeah. he continues it. I think it's important to note that many times Trump just off on his own goes into the attacks on the fake news. Right. This did not. That is not what happened here. David Marr, Tosco or whatever his name is, from the Daily Mail, yep. who is a unapologetic Trump booster, and as as you, as you and Tommy point out, interviewed for and got passed over by Sean Spicer for the job of White House press secretary, 
And he asked the question at a press conference in front of the entire world. He asked him to respond in a fairly incoherent babbling way. The question, the answer was also incoherent babbling to the controversy, which we will not get into because it's too confusing and ridiculous to spend time on about the about CNN investigating the origin of the CNN wrestling meme that was found on Reddit that Trump tweeted out. And so that was a question that was asked. We're going we're gonna to talk and to Anna about this later. I decided to save this topic for, uh, for the end when we, uh, when we bring Anna on because I, just, I, th- I thought okay, she'd have right. a good perspective. So that was particularly absurd. I'm also, it's, I think it's worth noting that it feels like they, they definitely swerved out of their lane to allow Sean Spicer's intern to ask a question because <laughs> n- normally, like, there is a thought that goes into this on a foreign trip. You try to, you're going to visit five countries, you're going to do five press conferences. That's usually two questions per press conference. You'll try to get all the TV networks or the all the wire services plus the major newspapers traveling. And it's always a U.S based outlet, right? It's supposed to be two American, two questions from American outlets, two questions from the outlet of the host country. And the Daily Mail is, as far as I can tell, British. And so we went to get a British outlet with a with the most friendly reporter alive, love, basically, as far I'm, as I can tell. I'm only calling David Marcoso, Sean Spicer's intern from now on. That's uh, that's brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit on this podcast. Mar- you and I Martosco. I, I guess it's Martosco is how you say it. Sorry. I want to give him his due. Yeah, so he went on his tirade against uh, CNN and fake news. Then he was asked about Russia. So he was asked whether he believed that Russia interfered in the 2016 election. And he said... Yes, but maybe it was other countries. And then he attacked Obama for not doing more to punish Russia, even though Russia might be innocent. (laughs) And then the reason Obama did nothing about Russia trying to help Trump win is because Obama thought Hillary was going to win. But then again, Russia might not have done it. Um, Completely incoherent logically, right? Which is, I, I know, has never stopped him before. We should just say, you know, Trump's not just Obama's intelligence agencies, Trump's own intelligence agencies, the the people he picked to run the CIA, the FBI, the National Security Agency, say definitively it was Russia. No one, there is no evidence, there is no one who says, who doubts that it was Russia that interfered in this election. And yet still, still, he is up there saying, yeah, 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 no, I, I think it's Russia, but I think it could be other countries too. Um, and then, of course, uses the intelligence agency's mistake with Iraq and weapons of mass destruction to cast doubt on their current conclusion, uh, which is one of his favorite things to do. So, uh, yeah, what do you think about that? <laughs> well, I, my favorite part of that was when he was like, and the report said 17 agencies. And my first thought was, do we even have 17 agencies? So we did some research into that. Turns out it was three or four, which is also completely not true. And... An amazing, uh, just even if you don't know all 17 of your intelligence agencies, just pretend like you do in front of the world. Well, I mean, what it was is, of course, we have 17 intelligence agencies, but only three or four uh, participated in this. And they are, many people know them, the CIA, the FBI, the NSA, and DNI, the Director of National Intelligence. Uh, Those were the agencies that decided that Russia interfered. The other agencies didn't participate in this actual investigation. Just, just so people know, <laughs> just, yeah. just trying to give yes. people the facts here at Pod Save America. Yeah. Um, such a straight shooter. Yeah, you know, I'm such. A, but so you and I didn't get the chance to talk about this because I was on my honeymoon at the time. But like, we should talk about the wa- briefly about the Washington Post story about Obama and 
what he did or didn't do uh, in response to the Russia hack. I mean, I read that story and I sort of came down on the side of like, look, I think that the American people ultimately deserve to know what was going on. And I think the the Obama administration should have told them uh, what was going on and should have been more forthcoming about this. But I do not think Obama saying more or doing more would have influenced the outcome of the election at all. Because what Obama was worried about was that if he said, first of all, remember, Mitch McConnell and the Republicans did not want to put out a bipartisan statement on Russian hacking. They did not want to join Obama in saying Russia is trying to interfere in this election and trying to elect Donald Trump. They refused to do that. So they knew that if Obama did it, it would be seen as partisan. Trump would call the election rigged. Trump would say, oh, you're going to believe those intelligence agencies that Obama's telling you about? The same intelligence agencies that got weapons of mass destruction wrong in Iraq, which he did today. Fox News would have said Obama's cooking intelligence to try to help Hillary win the election, right? And, like, Russia's goal, of course, was to elect Donald Trump. And so you have to ask yourself, would anything Barack Obama done, would anything that Barack Obama did have changed any votes? Would there, is there any Amer- voter out there who said, if I knew that Russia was more involved in trying to help Trump win the election, I would have voted for Hillary? Now, again, I still think that Obama should have done more should have said more and should have been more forthcoming about this but when you're talking about whether it would have changed the actual results of the election i'm highly doubtful yeah i mostly agree with that but i think it's there are a couple points i'm not going to join you in your criticism of obama um i'm going to be support him but (laughs) (laughs) you know i'm a tough critic no in all seriousness i mean that was a very dense well-reported story but yeah it's important to know the exact thing we're arguing about the U.S. government said Russia was behind the hacks. Right. They, the point, they did that. They, yeah. A very specific point that they did not say was that they were that Russia hacked the election for the specific purpose or interfered with the election for the specific purpose of electing Donald Trump. Because that and that's what Obama wanted to say. But he felt and I actually agree with him on this, that. He wanted to say it with, in a bipartisan statement, in Mitch McConnell, because he is generally the root of all the things that are wrong in American politics, <laughs> refused to do that because he put party of our country, which is, I think, the if he had a tattoo, that's what it would be. And so I, I agree with you. That I don't think votes were changed. I also think if Barack Obama had gone out and said, I have intelligence that says the Russians are trying to help Donald Trump win. And the Republicans were not on board with that. All hell would have broken loose. And it would have been seen as a unprecedented attempt by the U.S. Intelligence Committee to politicize U.S. intelligence to help win an election. Yeah. And, and, and look, at so Hillary, I understand and if Hillary won, there. if Hillary won, Republicans would have said that the results of the election are not legitimate because Obama stepped in and tried to say that it was the Russians who were doing it. And no one would have ever known. And look, there also would have been leaks from the intel community, I'm sure. Because there, I'm sure there were a few people who dissented, and if there was a leak from the intel community that said, "No, no, we sort of we cast doubt on this intelligence that it was Russia," then all hell would have break, broken loose as well. You know, so I, yes. like I guess what I'm saying is I get where Obama's coming from. I get why he made the decisions he did. You know, I still think at the end of the day, like voters deserve all the information out there possible before they make an informed decision. 
uh, sadly, I don't think it would have changed their decision. But anyway, Just one more point. One more yeah. point on that is we can't forget that the New York Times, based on FBI sources, reported at the, right around this time Absolutely. that they had no evidence yep. that Russia was doing this to help, to help Trump, and they were just doing it for the pure purposes of sowing chaos in our political system. And so it, it would not have been a unanimous view within the government if President Obama had come out and said that, because you would have had people in the FBI, for whatever reason, who believed the opposite or wanted to tell reporters the opposite, and all hell would have broken loose. Totally agree with that. Totally agree. Never forget that headline in the New York Times. But anyway, let's talk about the present, because the real the real consequence of Trump continuing to cast doubt on Russia's role in the 2016 election is that they absolutely will meddle again in 2018 and 2020. And when they do, Russia knows that complaints about the meddling will be dismissed as Democrats making lame excuses for losing. And the people who will make those dismissals will be Donald Trump, the Republican Party, Fox News, the entire conservative media establishment, right? Like, they, they Russia knows that they're going to be able to get away with it. And we are now heading for uh, a meeting, a one-on-one meeting between Donald Trump and Putin this Friday. Trump aides tell the New York Times they don't know what he'll say. They wanted a official bilat, bilateral meeting, which is... You know, when you have Putin and all of his aides and Donald Trump and all of his aides sitting across from each other at a table, so it's all official. The reason they wanted that is because they wanted, quote, as many adults in the room as possible. This is the White House. The White House is saying they want as many adults in the room as possible, forgetting that Donald Trump is one of the adults in the room. But I don't know if they see him as an adult. (laughs) Um, But they want to make sure he doesn't say anything crazy. And so they think that the more people from the administration they can put around him, uh, the higher likelihood that he doesn't say something that takes the whole thing off the rails. I mean, that's crazy. I do worry that we have set the bar so low for Trump that if he just simply mentions the fact that Russia may have interfered with the elections, we will call this a... Yalta like moment for Trump and be this huge success. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. We have I'm, we have dumbed down the expectations on him so low that the most basic thing that a six year old could achieve in a meeting, if just asked nicely, counts as a diplomatic success. I mean, look though, this is like, let's call it what it is. They interfered in the election. Sounds sort of nice. Like they launched a cyber attack against the United States, right? Like they they hacked into the Democratic National Committee. They spread fake news. They spread misinformation. They released emails that had been stolen, right? Like, this was an attack on our country. It was a cyber attack on our country. It wasn't a physical attack, but it was an attack nonetheless. And to then, after it happens, to, you know, they, they, they were looking to destabilize our democracy in a way they succeeded. And for the new president to then go meet with the Russian president, knowing that all of the intelligence agencies in this country believe that they were guilty of this, to go to a meeting with that president and to not raise it, or even to just mention it and not, I don't know, threaten any harsh consequences, is insane. It is insane. <laughs> it's so pitiful because, I mean, there are a couple of things. One, we have another election coming up. We have one right. this year. We have one next year. We'll have one the one. In fact, they come every year. And so <laughs> if Russia thinks that they can get involved in an election and launch cyber attacks without any consequence, then they will keep doing it. We know they are going to try to do something 
If if not, if, if, I don't know what, what their interest is in the Virginia New Jersey gubernatorial elections, but certainly the 18 congressional elections. We know this because one of the organizations that was hacked was the DCCC, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, in 2016. Like, they were going to try to do this again. And so there's an actual national security thing here. And what is the reason that Trump is not raising it? Is it because he he's running some sort of long game in order to build a relationship with Russia to – put more pressure on Iran or North Korea or to defeat ISIS or encourage a regime change in Syria? No, it's because he gets insecure every time someone brings it up because it makes him feel like a less legitimate president. So we will arrange our foreign policy around the insecurities of the president of the United States. Yeah, that's basically where we are. Doesn't doesn't want the legitimacy of his election called into question by admitting that a foreign power interfered to help him win. We know that Putin will press Trump to lift sanctions that was, are imposed on Russia because of their annexation of Crimea, their interference in Ukraine, and of course their interference in the 2016 election. So we know what Putin's going to do. Putin's strategy is to try to get him to lift these sanctions. We don't know how Trump's going to respond to this. Two people close to Trump said they expected him. They expected uh, Trump and Putin to bond over their disdain for fake news. So that's nice. They have written briefings for him in tweet like tweet length sentences. Was the phrase used? Tweet length sentences, briefings for Trump, and they are hoping that uh, a woman named Fiona Hill, who is the National Security Council senior director for Europe and Russia, who has been critical of Putin in the past, is in the meeting. As if, like, that's going to do anything. Well, like, of course she should be in the meeting. If she's senior director for Europe and Russia, yeah, usually that person's in a bilateral meeting with Russia. Um, but they're acting like this is going to be some big fix, you know. So, the, I mean, the one interesting thing is you're right that the bar is low and the Trump administration, the White House, is aware of this and they're they're aware of the possible criticism. And so they're trying to do everything they can um, to avoid an appearance that Trump is cozying up with Putin, even though they don't know what Trump will actually say, because, you know, he just does whatever he wants to do. <laughs> the tweet like sentences is so good. Um, also, it's funny that uh, Trump and Putin are going to bond over fake news because the fake news in Russia is the pro-Putin news. <laughs> it's, he has had a long running strategy to only have fake news, and it's worked out very well for him. The... I think it's worth noting that Putin is not the master global chess player that the conservative media likes to portray him as, mm -hmm. but he's probably a little sharper than Donald Trump. And he, <laughs> he play, I'm going to go out yeah. on there. Yeah. But he he also plays psychological games, and which Trump seems really ripe to <laughs> fall victim to. But like this example in the New York Times story was. <laughs> When Putin met with uh, Merkel, uh, the German chancellor, a while back, he knew that she was afraid of dogs. So he brought a large dog to the meeting. What <laughs> an asshole. <laughs> like, I mean, what do you think Putin brings to the Trump meeting? A salad? <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's so many jokes there. There's so yeah. many jokes there. Um yeah, no, I mean, so I don't know. I don't know what we can expect from the Putin meeting, uh, but you're you're right that the the bar is low. I mean, we were just saying he gave he gave his speech in Poland this morning, um, which you know everyone was wondering will he endorse NATO? He didn't last time. He did explicitly endorse NATO uh, in the speech, so good for him. 
But also, it was basically like this very Steve Bannon, Steve Miller type speech where it talked about like, you know, a war between civilizations. I didn't say that explicitly, but that was sort of the theme of the speech. It was like the real question is question of our time is whether the West has the will to survive. And it was very like it, it was uh, it was a little bit crazy. But, you know, a lot of the uh, a lot of the conservatives really like it because it was, um, you know, it had the whole civilizational struggle theme to it. So the axios treatment of the trump speech is so fucking nauseating <laughs> i mean true. i just can't like i would say i there's a lot of what happens on axios i really enjoy the format is phenomenal i think their tech reporting is actually really good but the just the i'm gonna use a dennis mcdonough phrase here the giant foot rub that they give <laughs> trump and stephen miller for just really bad speech writing is so terrible. No, I mean, look, I think I've said this before. The deal with Axios is um, I think few outlets are better sourced in the White House than they are, right? But it's a fair question to say what is the value of really good White House sourcing these days because the White House, this White House, lies like no other White House in history. And so when they're lied to by the White House, first of all, they usually write up the White House spin. And then when they're lied to, they get mad at them and then it's a negative coverage. But when Stephen Miller and Stephen Bannon tell them, well, look, he's going to endorse NATO and he's going to do something big and it's going to, he's going to stick to the script and it's going to be a great speech. And then he does that. Then they get a lot of praise from, those, from that outlet. So that's sort, of how the, that's sort of how the Axios relationship with the White House works. Um, like I said, it's really great for knowing exactly what the White House is thinking even if what the White House is thinking is very different than what Trump is thinking or the White House is ultimately lying. That's, that's basically yeah, where I think they've been pretty good is the things that are happening below the White House political staff. Like mm-hmm. all the – we can probably dispense now forever with stories of pending White House shakeups and strategy shifts and war rooms and Corey Lewandowski coming back and Sean Spicer leaving because – None of that ever happens, right? It's just all like those are legitimate reports, and that people theoretically they know we're telling reporters that. But Axios does like get deep into like what the trades are is working on, which is probably a really good way to sell a subscription news service. <laughs> so he's got the meeting with Putin. Uh, he gave the speech in Poland, um, and then we got the G twenty, right? The group of twenty. This is like. The group of seven that we had a couple months ago, we had seven major players in the world, representatives from seven countries that are major players in the world gather together. This is a larger one. They get 20 countries. I don't know why you need a G7 and a G20. Who knows? But anyway, all the lead up to this conference is that it is basically Trump against the world here. Uh, it's taken place in Germany. Uh, they're worried about, of course, large scale protests. And you've got this whole backdrop where Trump is threatening protectionism he's pulled out of the paris climate treaty and meanwhile all the other countries who are there are trying to like work together on stuff the european union and japan are announcing plans for a new trade agreement merkel's gonna chide trump on paris on pulling out of the climate agreement uh on his stance on refugees so um i don't know it doesn't it doesn't feel good watching uh, the United States go to one of these conferences and uh, appear to be um, not one of the team players, to put it to put it lightly. Yeah, yeah. We should tweet out the um, the survey of how what countries think the U.S. is doing the right thing in mm-hmm. the world under Trump and Obama, where you know, like under Obama, most of the world, particularly in Europe, thought. 
the U.S. was doing the right thing and had confidence to do the right thing. And under Trump, it's dramatic, dropped dramatically in some cases to like 10 points, and except in two countries, Russia, shockingly enough, and Israel, uh, where we've had some minor policy disagreements over during the Obama administration. Our friend Netanyahu. And it, right. And it, I think it's worth remembering that when we were running, when Barack Obama was running in 2008, one of the messages that was incredibly appealing to voters, particularly independent voters, was the idea that Obama was going to reestablish the U.S.'s place in the world because our relationships were so frayed under the Bush administration, largely because of the Iraq war and all the associated things like uh, certainly torture, um, that, you know, Americans, you know, Bush got would have tremendous protests. Americans were abroad, were sometimes embarrassed to say, uh, you know, where they were from. And that changed at the drop of a hat when Obama was elected, um, in, in large part because he opposed the Iraq war. And so that gave him some you know, legitimate credibility. And then we went about on a very deliberate diplomatic strategy to um, undo the damage that was done. And Trump has redone that damage in like two and a half minutes, which I guess in is a, impressive. I don't know. But it's, it's pretty shocking really to see severe how far way. we've fallen. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I I often think that like if we can survive Trump, if we can get out of this at some point, um, repairing the damage that he caused, both uh, you know to our belief in institutions at home and to what the world thinks of us, our reputation around the world is going to take quite a bit of time and effort. Um, like it's it's not going to be very easy um, because you know. It's I don't know. It's it's weird because in a way, like obviously Bush did tremendous damage to the country's reputation by going into Iraq. A lot of times you could say, well, that that was that was Bush's choice. Bush did that. It was Bush and his administration. The tough part to face up to is that, you know, a little less than half of our country voted for Trump, um, sort of knowing what kind of character he is. And that's tough. This is this is a self-inflicted mistake. And, and and repairing the damage from that is gonna it's gonna take a while, um, but that's if we can avoid any major crises, which of course brings us to North Korea, another another exciting inspiring topic. Um, tr- one of Trump's meetings, I believe tonight, is going to be with uh, the leaders of Japan and South Korea over what's happening on North Korea. So uh, a couple days ago, we learned that North Korea successfully tested its first intercontinental ballistic missile that's capable of hitting Alaska and possibly Hawaii. Um, We now know that they have nuclear weapons. They have the long-range missiles. Uh, We still don't know if they can fit the nuclear weapons on the long-range missiles, um, but uh, experts expect that they may get that capability over the next couple years. So, I know this is about as serious as it gets. Um, most experts in this area have said that uh, this basically changes the calculus. Uh, it limits our already limited options for how to respond. Uh, the The concern is not necessarily that North Korea would launch a preemptive strike against the United States. A lot of people think that's very unlikely. Um, but of course, who knows? Kim Jong-un is a madman. Um but it does mean that we can't effectively protect our allies in the region um, or the thousands and thousands of American troops who are stationed in South Korea near the de- demilitarized zone, uh, near the border of uh, South Korea and North Korea. Um, 
And the reason is because if we launched a preemptive strike against North Korea now, um, it wouldn't be a strike that could take out all of their nuclear weapons or all of their artillery at once. And the first thing they would do is launch an immediate counterattack against Seoul, um, the capital of South Korea, which has 10 million people in it. And of course, like I said, our troops, we have thousands and thousands of troops stationed um, on the border and could kill thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of people, maybe hundreds of thousands. Um, So it's a real, real problem. Um, And, you know, when you have a crisis like this brewing, it's it's pretty scary to have Donald Trump as president, right? Because you just don't... I mean, look, not saying that this crisis would have happened... Like, you know, Barack Obama could have faced the same exact thing. George Bush could have faced the same exact thing. But this happens to Trump. And, of course, the first tweet is, North Korea just launched another missile. Does this guy have anything better to do with his life? No, he lives in North Korea. Like, no, he doesn't. <laughs> this is the coolest thing he can do. It's so, It's so bad. I would encourage people... I'd say two things. One... We're really just sitting on Tommy's quarter right now, just with all this foreign policy talk. I know. Um, so I'm sure he's not nervous about it, given our tremendous depth of knowledge. Second is I would encourage everyone to go back and listen to the Pod Save the World with Mark Lippert. It was yes. one of the earlier ones, which is the uh, – A, Mark Lippert's an awesome guy. Um, he was our ambassador but, to South Korea. Yeah, Yes, he was ambassador to South Korea, one of the longest time, longest serving Obama foreign policy advisors all around good dude, but it's also the best explanation of what a how we got in the situation and what a, an incredibly tricky, challenging foreign policy issue that it is. And I think, you know, if you talk to some of our foreign policy expert friends, they would say North Korea may be the the hardest problem to solve because North Korea is not responsive to the normal sorts of pressures that you can put. Like, as you point out, military options are incredibly difficult and they're not responsive to diplomatic isolation. They seem very comfortable with millions of their people dying of starvation. And so it's just the normal levers to pull are not available here. And you were right. We are not in this situation because of Trump. This has been building for a very long time. It was building under George W. Bush, building under Obama, but he is the guy in charge now. And that is scary. Yeah. I mean, and he also, look, he, he, Trump responded to this and has reacted to this like, once again, he's a Fox News viewer. He's a random commentator or observer of the news, right? Like, he watches this from afar and thinks, well, you know, China can can solve this problem because, you know, China trades with North Korea and they have somewhat of a relationship with North Korea. And so, I know, I'm Donald Trump and I'm going to make a deal and do a negotiation with China and it's going to be great. And then um, he tweets, his second tweet after this crisis was, trade between China and North Korea grew almost 40% in the first quarter. So much for China working with us, but we had to give it a try. It's like, it's like he might as well be a pundit on one of the cable shows, right? Like not the President of the United States. It's just you, you watch him learn that every problem that he thought was so easy when he was just someone yelling at the news is actually much more complicated and difficult than he thought. Um, and yet he doesn't really want to learn. You're right. He is a passive observer of what is happening in his own government on a fairly regular basis. Like he's like, Japan is not going to put up with this much longer, which was came right after the, does this guy have anything better to do with his life tweet? Right. Like you can pick up the phone and call Japan. Like they will take your call. Everyone in the world will take your call. So you can do something instead of just, 
tweet about. And I think in his head, he thinks that his tweets put pressure on Japan and China. Right. I don't think his tweets put pressure on Japan and China. I do not think the Japanese and the Chinese think that. No. And the truth is, too, like, North North Korea probably studies his statements quite carefully and tries to infer certain things from them because they think he's... Maybe they think he's a rational actor who's trying to send the messages, right? And when Kim Jong-un reads a tweet that's like, doesn't this guy have anything better to do with his life? Like, yeah, he's probably going to take that as a personal slight, right? I mean, so the, the danger is not, like like you said, it's not that Trump got us into the situation. He, he didn't. Um, but the danger is when you have two nuclear-armed countries with nukes pointed at each other, um, even the slightest miscalculation or misunderstanding could lead to massive destruction and casualties and that's that's the real fear of him being in power while this is going on yeah um, it is i mean you think about the process by which a a simple statement from the press secretary goes through on a foreign policy issue in this government every the defense department the state department the nsc the white house chief of staff there are everyone signs off on it to make sure that you are not potentially starting a major global conflict. And I suspect that the full approval process for the Trump tweets is Trump and Dan Scavino talking to each other over around a golf somewhere. Yeah, you don't, you don't think there's a heavy vetting process there? You don't think it's pretty stringent there, in this White House? There's not extreme vetting for Trump's tweets. No. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so the North Korea thing's pretty scary, but you're right. It's so funny that you mentioned that about Tommy because – uh, as we were leaving work yesterday, I asked him a bunch of questions about North Korea, and then I was like, you know what? We just got to tell people to listen to your Leopard episode. We'll, we'll tweet it out after the pod. It's going to be a lot better than Dan and I can do, and it's uh, it's a great episode. It's a great episode because Leopard is very, very smart on all this stuff. Okay, let's talk about wealth care. Little update. Uh, there's a lot of good news. You know, we saw some reports. So, first of all, everyone who showed up at a parade, who tweeted us pictures over the 4th of July... Thank you. You're doing great work. There's a great Washington Post story yesterday or the day before about a lot of these parades. They interviewed Susan Collins, and she said, you know, there was only one issue that people came up to me and talked about at this parade, which is unusual because usually I hear a lot about a lot of issues for my constituents. And this time I heard over and over and over again encouragement for my stand against the bill. People were thanking me over and over again. So that's great. That means the pressure is working, right? And again, like if, if we have Collins, we need Heller to stay in O, and then we need one more, um, and then it's dead. So um, we also saw in Nevada, speaking of Heller, Republican Governor uh, Sandoval said that the Senate plan remains a major threat to Nevada. He hasn't seen anything that would make him change his mind, and he's been talking to Mike Pence about this. And that statement was yesterday, Wednesday. So... It seems like, you know, the the danger of Will Heller flip and be a yes is, does Sandoval say, okay, well, I'm, I'm supporting the bill too. And if he does, then maybe Heller goes with him and says yes. But if, as long as Sandoval's against the bill, there's a very good chance that Heller's against the bill as well. So that would be two. Heller also today, by the way, got a real challenger, uh, Representative Jackie Rosen, who's a uh, congressman who represents a swing district of the Nevada 3rd. Um, she has said she will challenge Heller, and that is a very tough challenger. So that also makes it more likely that he will uh, remain a no on the bill. So pretty good news, but again, no resting, no stopping. Like this, we've got to put, you know, everyone's got to put all the pressure you can on these senators because, you know, if it ends up that it's just Heller and Collins as no's, 
and Rand Paul and Ted Cruz and Mike Lee and all the conservatives decide to just cave to Mitch McConnell, then we lose. You know, we need three. So you got to keep the pressure up on Portman, on Capito, uh, on Murkowski, uh, on Flake, and uh, all of these, you know, wavering Republican senators who might uh, who might still vote against this bill. You know who's really getting off easy here? Who? Flake. Flake. I know. Like, no one's talking about Flake. Everyone's talking about Capito and Portman because of their uh, the opioid issues in their state and Medicaid expansion states. Air- Flake is one of the most endangered Republicans. He has kept his head down here, which has been a pretty good strategy. But we need to put real pressure pressure on Flake because I think that he kind of moves he moves with Heller, and so we got to keep him in place. And I think he's getting off easy here. And so I don't know what Flake is up to this weekend, but if you live in Arizona, find him. And if, you, if he's not around, go to his office. You know, go to a parade, do it, do what people have been doing. We have one more weekend here before people go back. So we can't let people feel like it is. We can't let the Republicans think that the pressure is waning. Right. It has to seem like we are like it like it is getting more intense, not less intense. Apparently, I saw that um, the uh, the disability advocates who who staged a sit in in Cory Gardner's Senate office in Colorado, that same group is staging a sit in right now in Flake's office in Arizona. So, again, if people who use wheelchairs, um, who have disabilities, if they can sit in an office and demand answers from their senators, then like, you know, so can you. So, so get to those, get to put some pressure on Flake. I do. Th- I totally agree that he's gotten off easy. I think one of Flake's issues is Arizona is the type of state where he is not yet worried that having a tough democratic challenger is more dangerous to his chances of reelection as having a uh, primary challenge from the right, right? Arizona is a state where you could get some super conservative right-wing Republican to challenge him for voting against the bill and trying to knock him off in a primary. And it seems like that might have to do a little bit with his calculation on this. But um, like, you know, Arizona is, it's becoming more and more of a swing state, right? Like Hillary Clinton, after, even though she lost the election, did better in Arizona than Barack Obama did, right? It's trending in that direction. So uh, I definitely think that Flake is Flake is a target and he hasn't gotten much attention yet. Can um, we talk about John Cornyn's tweet for one sec? John Cornyn, man, that guy is such a, fucking twitter troll <laughs> he's, he's like he's like but he's like trying he's one of the biggest twitter trolls in the u.s senate do you think he runs his own twitter account or he just has like a junior dan scavino who's doing it for him it's a very good question i don't know i don't know i'd like to know that though can we also point out that he was almost the fbi director yeah that would have been crazy yeah well just so everyone knows what his tweet was uh someone tweeted something about a reporter about 22 million people losing their health losing uh, coverage via the Senate Trump care bill. And <laughs> Gordon tweeted, they were not losing coverage. They were choosing not to have it. Much like starving people choose not to eat. This whole thing, like, yeah. <laughs> a bunch of people are going to get kicked off Medicaid. You have the freedom to buy something that you can't afford, is basically what he said. And you just you just choose not to buy it because it would bankrupt you. But you have the freedom to try to buy it. And Stephen Dennis, who's a Bloomberg reporter who's pretty well sourced on the Hill. Yeah, um, especially on healthcare he, stuff. Yeah, he responded saying that this is a talking point that's been gaining more currency among, among Republican aides in the Senate, which is a terror. I mean, A, it is 
deeply cynical and dishonest. So, but that's sort of table stakes with the Senate Republicans, but it is incredibly politically stupid. Like it is so easily caricatured. And if you want to seem even more insensitive than you already are, this is the way to do it. Because one strategy would be just to say, to argue, also dishonest and cynical, but that it's not really going to be 20, 22 million people aren't really going to lose their insurance, that it's bullshit, CBO's wrong, et cetera. But the new Cornyn strategy is to accept the CBO's findings, but say those people chose to do it, which the CBO also says they're not doing, but it is not it, a great strategy. These are desperate times, right? Uh, we should also say, by the way, that uh, Trump's own Department of Health and Human Services, actually the center, uh, the CMS, the Medicare agency, have a, has a report out that admits that Obamacare markets are stable and not in a death spiral. This is an organization run by a conservative health policy consultant that was appointed by Donald Trump, and buried in the report is an admission that these markets are not in a death spiral, which has basically been the entire case against Obamacare and why they're trying to repeal it as fast as possible. So uh, that's not good for them either. So we have a lot of good, a lot of hopeful signs here, a lot of good ammo to use in our arguments against this bill, and now we just have to keep it in the headlines and keep the pressure up in the next week. And when we come back, we'll be talking to the former Attorney General of the United States, Eric Holder. Don't go anywhere. This is Pod Save America, and there's more on the way. The Crooked Store's latest collection has a clear message for anyone trying to take away abortion rights. Don't. The No Trespassing collection features four different designs, each inspired by a different state where abortion is under attack. There's stay out of my swamp for Florida, stay out of my hole for Arizona, stay out of my prickly pear for Texas, and stay out of my strip for Nevada. But obviously, I'll be wearing these no matter where I am. A portion of proceeds from the collection will go to Vote Save America's F-Bands, the Fight Back Fund, which currently is supporting abortion rights organizations across Arizona, Nevada, and Florida. Head to cricket.com slash store to shop. Hi, I'm Erin Ryan, a writer and host of the podcast Hysteria. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco, former White House Deputy Chief of Staff and also a host of Hysteria. And this week, we were asked to talk about Women's History Month. And on behalf of women everywhere, okay, fine. Our show Hysteria is about the way news and culture impacts women in America every week of the year. From the latest on reproductive rights to the ways pop culture handles women's stories. And not just because it's March, okay? We exist the other 11 months of the year, too. What? Don't... (laughs) Uh, You heard it here first. Don't even get us started on our exclusive YouTube series, This Fucking Guy, where we try to figure out how the worst people in America got to be so awful. So if you're looking for a pod that's by the ladies and for everyone, make sure to subscribe to Hysteria wherever you get your podcasts. Did you know that women make up 56% of law students? That's grounds for bragging rights at the dinner table for your conservative uncle who still thinks women belong in the kitchen. It's clear that the future of the legal field is female. So why are so many legal podcasts and reviews authored by men? Hi, I'm Leah Littman. I'm Kate Shaw. And with Melissa Murray, we are the hosts of Strict Scrutiny. Each week, we break down the latest headlines and biggest legal questions facing our country through the lens of diverse voices to give you expert views you won't hear anywhere else. Strict Scrutiny is your guide to the Supreme Court. New episodes drop every Monday, plus bonuses whenever the Supreme Court takes away another one of our rights. Make sure to subscribe to Strict Scrutiny wherever you get your podcasts. On the pod today, we are very lucky to have the former Attorney General of the United States and the chair 
of the National Democratic Redistricting Committee, Eric Holder. Welcome to the pod. Hey, it's good to be here. And I prefer to be called the 82nd Attorney General of the United States as opposed to the former Attorney General of the United States. We can do that. I yeah, like yeah. that. 82. We'll just call you 82. Like, I think about former, that then takes me to the present, and then I get, I get real depressed about that. So okay. Let's just go with 82. Let's go with 82 then. So tell us how you got involved um, with the redistricting committee and what the goals are. Yeah, we talked about this. Uh, the president and I have been talking about this for some time. A, a big concern about um, how after 2010, the Republicans, um, after the census in, in 2010, really kind of uh, you know did a, a whole bunch of inappropriate things and came up with uh, districts that don't really that are they're safe for Republicans and therefore you have. Uh, non-representative districts. We've always decided we wanted to do something about it. And I guess shortly before the uh, the convention, we got together and talked about coming up with a mechanism by which we would um, we'd fight this and be prepared for the census that's going to occur in uh, in 2020. And so that's how uh, this committee was formed. Uh, the president asked me to, to chair it. And uh, that's what we have been uh, all about since then. And what are some of the strategies that you guys are employing to get ready for the uh, the census in 2020? Well, I'd say first off that our work is grassroots driven. Um, we want to make sure that the Democratic Party is focused um, in the states. When I announced this back in uh, January, I said the Democratic Party was going back into the states because the reality is that uh, state legislatures, governors, are, are the people who tend to draw these districts. And if we want to have fair redistricting, we have to be successful um, at the at the state level. And so we're looking on a state-by-state basis uh, at the people who are most influential when it comes to um, redistricting in a particular state and focusing our efforts on making sure that those people um, get elected. Governors, obviously, all the time, um, secretaries of state. Uh, in some states, it's uh, the Supreme Court uh, in Pennsylvania. Judges are, are extremely important. And so we're going to be focusing on, on the races that are going to matter uh, after the census in, in, in 2020. 82, I guess I'll call you. Uh, the Which are the key states in 17 and 18 that folks should be focused on? Well, certainly in, in 17, um, Virginia, uh, I think, is the, the place where everybody needs to, needs to be looking. Um, there's a governor's race there that is obviously very important. The governor who is selected in this year will be the person who will be helping to draw those lines in 2021. Uh, the Virginia legislature is also something that we want to focus on. We want to put as many Democrats in place as, as we can. Um, New Jersey is also a place that we want to um, look at. Now, our hope is that given, um, you know, where uh, the present governor, what his approval ratings look like and the association of the candidate who is running on the Republican side, that New Jersey should be a place that we do pretty well. So we're going to be really focusing on what we think will be a more competitive race um, in, in, in Virginia. Ralph Northam is the uh, sitting lieutenant governor, and I spoke at their, um, their JJ dinner, oh, I guess about three, four, three or four weeks ago. So um, you, we've been talking about sort of the electoral strategies um, around redistricting. What are some of the legal strategies that you guys are employing as well? Because I know that's part of the platform. Yeah. I mean, we have uh, a, a number of mechanisms. We're going to be filing lawsuits and have filed lawsuits in places where that's the only way that you can break um, gerrymandering. We have uh, filed lawsuits in, uh, in North Carolina um, and, and in other, other states. Uh, we're also going to be doing electoral things, as I have described. But we'll also be looking for um, places where state constitutions allow for the formation of um, 
nonpartisan commissions, as they have in California, and where the responsibility for drawing lines is done uh, on a commission basis. And those, if done well, um, are also effective mechanisms to have um, fair, uh, fair lines drawn. I mean, our, our hope is to have, you know, not to, to do what the Republicans did in 2010 and gerrymander for Democrats. We just want to have um, fair lines drawn and make this a battle between Republican ideas and Democratic ideas. And if we do that, Democrats will do, uh, will do just fine. You said that part of your job here, in addition to figuring out electoral and legal strategies, uh, is to make redistricting sexy again, which yeah. I think that's mm-hmm. the first time those two words have been used in the same sentence. Um, <laughs> how do you do that? Because, you know, there's a lot of people out there who, you know, maybe they don't know what gerrymandering is. They don't know much about redistricting. It has flown under the radar for so long, which is part of our problem, right? Which is yeah. why we haven't focused on it. So how do you, how do you sort of make it an interesting story? Yeah, well, I think what we have to do is make people understand, especially at the state level, and this is not something, I mean, people have to understand gerrymandering is not only about what kind of Congress we have, it's also about what kind of state legislatures um, that we have. And if you look on a day-to-day basis, these gerrymandered um, state legislatures that we have are the, are the legislatures that produce these crazy gun laws, uh, that produce these anti-choice laws, that are responsible for these voter suppression laws, these, you know, these bogus um, photo ID laws. Um, so on a day-to-day basis, people uh, people's lives are impacted by these gerrymandered um, state legislatures. And I think that's the message we have to get out. This is not only about Congress, and obviously Congress has a, a huge impact on people's lives, um, but state legislatures, on a, as I said, on a day-to-day basis are impacting um, how people, you know, go about their, their, um, their daily lives. How can our listeners who uh, may, after this interview, find redistricting sexy, how can they uh, get involved with your organization? What can they do to help out? Sure. Well, I, I think it is, in fact, sexy, and people need to, need to understand that. But you can certainly visit our website, which is uh, www.democraticredistricting.com. Um, I'd also suggest that people volunteer on campaigns today that impact um, gerrymandering. Like I said, uh, the governor's race in Virginia, the uh, New Jersey governor's race, Phil Murphy is running there, Virginia State House races. Um, and I'd, at third, I'd say people should just get involved in, in local elections. And you can reach out to us to learn how you can, you can host house parties or, or, or fight back against gerrymandering um, in, in your home state. And that's www.democraticredistricting.com. And um, what's our old boss, Barack Obama's role in all this? I know that when the story first came out that you guys were doing this and you've you've talked about that he was Mm -hmm. sort of uh, thinking about this with you for a long time. What's his role now? Is he going to be heavily involved or... Yeah, he's going to be heavily involved. Um, this is something that we both have decided is going to be our primary um, post-office um, political activity. And so he's going to be with us both in terms of you know, raising funds and getting out there and, and campaigning for, um, you know, for Democratic candidates who will have an impact on the redistricting process. And so I expect, you know, as has already been announced, you'll see him out there uh, campaigning for Lieutenant Governor Northam in, uh, in, in Virginia. Excellent. Moving beyond redistricting for a sec, I know when we worked together in the Obama administration, one of the things that you were most passionate about were reforming our criminal justice policies. And I just want to get your reaction to the things that have been happening in the Trump administration on that front. Yeah, as I said, after um, Sessions announced that he was reversing some of the things that I had put in place, we have gone from what we call smart on crime to what I've called a dumb on crime. Um, you know, they've put us on a path to take us back to 
um, a path that simply didn't work and that is not fiscally um, sustainable and that draws a wedge between uh, people in law enforcement and the communities that they are supposed to serve. Um, I'm not exactly sure, you know, what it is that drives them in that way because the reform efforts that we put in place were actually one of the few things in Washington, D.C. that had conservative and um, progressive support, Republican as well as Democratic support. Um, But, uh, you know, this kind of extreme part of the Republican Party that now controls so many of the executive branch agencies um, or hell-bent on taking us back to, I think, a discredited past. And so... um, it's painful to see what has uh, what's happening, and um, it's also good to see, however, that the states, state AGs, state governors, are saying that uh, the federal government may be doing that, but we're going to stay on the path of uh, on the path of reform. So I have to ask your your last tweet was a little mysterious, caused some head scratching. <laughs> it was like it was it was sent at three a.m. Eastern time. I don't know where you were in the world, but it said mm-hmm. to the career men and women at DOJ, FBI, your actions and integrity will be unfairly questioned. Be prepared, be strong, duty, honor, country. What was was that about anything? Was it referring to anything specific? Some people said, Oh, he knows something's coming, you know, I I, I doubted that, but I, I don't know. What 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 why did you uh, why did you tweet that? Well, I was reacting to um, what I had seen happen and what I know is going to happen, which is that, um, you know, those in the the Trump administration are attacking the uh, the investigators, um, going after Bob Mueller, um, questioning, you know, the integrity of people who are assigned to the inquiry because of who they voted for or who they made campaign contributions to. I mean, I know who these folks are. And they may be Republicans, they might be Democrats, um, but they are first and foremost um, members of the Justice Department uh, bent on um, finding the truth and applying the law in appropriate ways. And I wanted to you know, to call that out and to let them know that um, they ought to be prepared for some unfair attacks and let them know also that um, you know the former Attorney General of the United States was still with them, still support them, and that um, you know, urged them to be to be strong in the face of what is going to be um, unfair. We've only seen the beginnings of it. And I can guarantee you that as this investigation, this inquiry goes on, you're going to hear more and more of uh, what they've already tried to what they've already tried to roll out. Based on what you've seen and read so far, just in press reports, do you think there's a case here for a possible obstruction of justice? That's a good question. I mean, I'm obviously not aware of all the facts that um, you know that Bob Mueller has or that the team has. But I have to say that you are getting, I think, um, you know, pretty close. If you look at what um, the president himself has said about the reason for the firing of Jim Comey, the apparently the entreaties that he made to uh, a couple of people who are, um, you know, in in the administration to go to Comey, I think that you're getting uh, you're getting pretty close to um, an obstruction case. It's certainly something that is worthy. Of investigation, and um, I think all the reports are probably correct that, in fact, um, that he is being, you know, in, uh, investigated uh, for possible obstruction. You obviously worked very closely with Bob Mueller throughout your time in the administration. Yep. Could you tell people a little bit what kind of person he is and uh, what you know how you expect him to approach this investigation? Uh, Bob Mueller is the the straightest, uh, most honest guy you'd ever want. Um, He's an ex-Marine who will take no crap, and he will, um, you know, if he's allowed to do his job, he'll do it um, extremely well. Let me tell you something about, give you a short example of who this guy is. I was the U.S. attorney here in Washington, D.C. 
Bob Mueller was uh, the former assistant attorney general of the criminal division in the um, Bush administration. He called me up when he was working at a law firm and said, look, I want to come work for you in the U.S. attorney's office as a homicide prosecutor. At that time, D.C. was the, the homicide capital of, of the country. And he said, look, I'm concerned about what's going on in Washington. I don't want a title. I just want to come and be a regular assistant U.S. attorney and try homicide cases. And I said, are you kidding? And he said, no, I want to leave my firm. And that's what he did. He came over, no title, and just tried um, homicide cases very effectively um, in Washington, D.C. And that's an example of of who this guy is, um, how he's made up. And um, I think the American people should have great faith in him and be very concerned, be very, very concerned if any movement is made to uh, remove him from his position. 82, thank you so much for joining the podcast. We really appreciate you uh, giving us the time. All right. Always good to talk to you guys. I miss you. You know, I miss working with you guys. Miss you too. Miss you too. Same and uh, we'll have to have you come back on, especially as we get close to some of these elections, to talk more about uh, about redistricting. We appreciate right. it. Sounds like a plan. I'd be glad to. Okay. Take care. Okay. Thank you. Bye bye. Right. Bye bye now. Okay. So when we come back, we will be talking to the host of Crooked Media's with friends like these, Marie Cox. This is Pod Save America. Stick around. There's more great show coming your way. Did you know that women make up 56% of law students? That's grounds for bragging rights at the dinner table for your conservative uncle who still thinks women belong in the kitchen. It's clear that the future of the legal field is female. So why are so many legal podcasts and reviews authored by men? Hi, I'm Leah Littman. I'm Kate Shaw. And with Melissa Murray, we are the hosts of Strict Scrutiny. Each week, we break down the latest headlines and biggest legal questions facing our country through the lens of diverse voices to give you expert views you won't hear anywhere else. Strict Scrutiny is your guide to the Supreme Court. New episodes drop every Monday, plus bonuses whenever the Supreme Court takes away another one of our rights. Make sure to subscribe to Strict Scrutiny wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Erin Ryan, a writer and host of the podcast Hysteria. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco, former White House Deputy Chief of Staff and also a host of Hysteria. And this week, we were asked to talk about Women's History Month. And on behalf of women everywhere, okay, fine. Our show, Hysteria, is about the way news and culture impacts women in America every week of the year. From the latest on reproductive rights to the ways pop culture handles women's stories. And not just because it's March, okay? We exist the other 11 months of the year, too. What? Don't... (laughs) Uh, You heard it here first. Don't even get us started on our exclusive YouTube series, This Fucking Guy, where we try to figure out how the worst people in America got to be so awful. So if you're looking for a pod that's by the ladies and for everyone, make sure to subscribe to Hysteria wherever you get your podcasts. Reclaim your time now that you can listen to four weekly ads-free episodes across Pod Save America and Pod Save the World. There's never been a better time to join Cricket's Friend of the Pod subscription community. The marketing people say that listening ads-free saves you up to two hours of ad listening each month. Imagine the possibilities. You know what you can do with two extra hours a week? You can listen, listen to, two- to more podcasts. Exactly. Ah, two more episodes. That's yeah. two more episodes. Yeah. Get more stuff in your brain. Yeah. Get more stuff in that more brain. More stuff and content in there like, yeah, uh, like you're a foie gras <laughs> Become a member today. Go to crooked.com slash friends now to learn more. On the pod today, we have the host of Crooked Media's with friends like these, Anna Marie Cox. Anna, how you doing? I'm okay. Okay. That's good. <laughs> you always ask me and I always have to like think about it because, oh, well, you know, it's the Trump era. relative to other people, I'm doing great. 
I think we can say that for sure. Like that other people are suffering. Dan and I have been having a very inspiring conversation about uh, North Korea, Putin, interference in the elections, all kinds of exciting stuff. Yeah, oh, the short well. the short version is don't buy green bananas. <laughs> oh, God. I actually, I think about stuff that Tommy and I have talked about with regard to North Korea all the time. And yeah, I shouldn't do that. Like I should, I should probably just concentrate on enjoying my semi-retirement, as you guys know. <laughs> Like I now I'm down to two jobs, oh, so uh, I have more time for you guys. That's but, so. That's the good. That's the good go. news for us. Yes, yes, it is. MTV's loss, your gain. That's right. Crooked media's gain. So we were talking about Trump's press conference this morning, and of mm. course he used one of the questions to go off on CNN. And uh, the one thing we haven't talked about today is the little controversy that was brewing yesterday over Andrew Kaczynski at CNN. Because the the Reddit user who first came up with the meme of Donald Trump fake wrestling a guy with a CNN logo superimposed over his oh, head, I can't even God, fucking like, believe that I just said that sentence. Even you telling this story, it's, uh, like telling I this, can't. It can we just short circuit this? So fucking crazy <laughs> saying the sentence. Um, so the meme gets created. Trump shares it on Twitter, and then CNN goes and looks, and and apparently this Reddit user has left enough biographical information on his Reddit feed that Kaczynski then tracked down who it was on Facebook, right? Then the guy uh, decides to apologize, (laughs) gives this big apology that he's sorry he didn't do this, blah, blah, blah. CNN writes it up, doesn't reveal the guy's identity, says that he apologized, say whatever. And then at the very end it says, CNN reserves the right to to change its mind on this and, and publish his identity at some point. And all hell breaks loose. Everyone on the right, Donald Trump Jr., all the right-wing trolls, even a lot of, you know, respected conservatives, they all decide that CNN, they start the hashtag CNN blackmail, and uh, and they all start going after CNN. So all of this is makes me crazy that we're even talking about this, but I guess it raises the question, like, what is the journalistic responsibility CNN has to, I don't know choose to reveal or not reveal the identity of someone a private citizen who has you know oh by the way we should say this guy is also behind a whole bunch of very racist and anti-semitic memes and posts and everything else right so this is not a there's not an innocent person right here um but what is the journalistic responsibility with respect to this guy do you can you reveal an identity should they have said they might reveal it at some point what do you think about this I am so sad we're talking about this. I know. Like, I I mean, it's just like layer upon layer of like what, like we shouldn't even need to be talking about it. I mean, first of all, Donald Trump shouldn't be president and we shouldn't have a president that like gets off on like, I think probably literally gets off on bashing the media. Like that is his (laughs) snuff porn, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So we shouldn't be talking about it. Trump shouldn't have tweeted it. And also CNN's a bad actor here too. Um, And not just in this weird quasi threat that they made to this guy, but in also they're the other side of this professional wrestling rivalry, you know, I mean, they're playing into this. Like they, like I, they're talking about it a lot. I I have to say, I believe in the media. All right. And I, I believe that, I mean, what my job is, is part of the great, you know, 
system of, you know, gears and levers that keeps democracy in balance. I believe in the fourth estate, you know, but we we should not be the story and we should avoid making ourselves the story. Right. And CNN just kind of took to this like a professional wrestling participant would, you know, I mean, it's the perfect meme for this particular moment in history. Cause like, you know, CNN is not innocent in this, in this affair. And I don't mean just in the way that they promoted this gif and sort of played the victim. And I don't all, and I don't just mean in the way that they threatened this guy, CNN helped make Trump happen, you know, and Jeff Zucker admits it. Oh yeah. Like this, this is he, they are the, the opponent in the ring for Trump. I mean, it's, it's, again, it's, it's like, it's almost not a metaphor. <laughs> what they did with trump in terms of professional wrestling yeah now i mean i did notice in the new york times story about this today uh there's an interview with jeff zucker and he was like he did make sure to slip in there that they've never had better ratings in the 25 to 64 demographic and their profits have never been bigger (laughs) yeah i mean i mean i mean you know good we we all know good people that work there Right. Oh they, yeah. They do good. They have yeah, some of, they one have of the one of them's on the journalists. phone with you. Yeah, one of them's on yeah. the phone with us, Dan Pfeiffer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, they do good work, but you know, as an institution, I don't think they're innocent. And just to drill down just a second on the Andrew Kaczynski, is that how you say his last name? Yes. yes. Issue, which is, I read in BuzzFeed that he didn't write that sentence, which rings true to me because mm-hmm. I think Andrew's a pretty, you know let's say straight shooter respect on both sides of the aisle, maybe not quite both sides, but he's a straight shooter. Yeah. Um, I don't see him doing that. I think the mistake there was that sentence. You either reveal the guy's identity um, or you don't. You and make if, that choice contingent on your judgment of news value, not on whether or not he does what you want. Yeah. That, I, that's I, the story I guess there. CNN, CNN's explanation, it, it definitely seems like a lawyer or someone put it in there because what they what they intended to say was we didn't make a deal with this guy, which would also be untoward to make some kind of a deal, <laughs> right? Right. Um, right. But it did it, it reads weird. I mean, my whole thing on this is like Andrew Kaczynski is a, a excellent reporter, right? But he's not the NSA, right? Like this this Reddit user like left a whole bunch of biographical yeah. information. Like if you want to say something anonymously online, you should have the right to do that. You should have a right to privacy to try to say something anonymously, right? But if you leave a bunch of biographical Biographical information about yourself throughout your Reddit threads that can easily be traced with anyone who has Google to your Facebook page, then, like, I don't know. <laughs> hey, it's, uh, it's love it. Uh, he I, couldn't control himself. He's been I, here. And I'm here now. Um, I kept looking at him like, you're going to wait your turn. You're not going to say anything. You said straight shooter. He almost did it there. <laughs> now here he is. I, first of all, the idea that, like, the Trump people have no accountability for like a year of endless streaming lies and bullshit and attacking people by name and whatever, doxing Lindsey Graham, years and years of just total garbage. And we are now holding CNN accountable for every little tiny sentence. The The difference in standards, the Trump people, you know, that, that Sarah Huckabee Sanders holds for herself and that they hold for other people is extraordinary. That is all that I wanted to say John. Also, by the way, by the way, one more thing. What kind of name is Han Asshole Solo? As somebody pointed out online, it should be it should be Han Asholo. I was saying it like that. Oh, oh, that is a good point. I I was saying it like that. We should he should be doxxed just on that alone, right? I mean, like we should just we should force him to change the name or reveal who he is. That I think is probably the real tip. I'm prepared to reveal who it is right now. 
<laughs> it is me. It is, it is I, you, John Lovett. Right? So, yeah, yeah, so <laughs> oh, that's how we know it's not Lovett. It's because the name would have been better. Right, the, the name, name would have been, been a better pun. Also, Donald Trump Jr. And it would have been a Star Trek name, not a Star Wars name. Uh, yeah. Right. Donald Trump Jr. and all these conservatives were also spreading the misinformation that this was a 15-year-old, which... Mm-hmm. It's not right. Like this is this is like a small little thing, but of course, like that just like went all around the internet. Oh, I saw oh, Patricia 15- Patricia Heaton of uh, Everybody Loves Raymond is also a vector for this lie now, which is unbelievable. What is this world? Is he also, but is he also the four hundred pound hacker that you know broke into probably, the DNC? I think that's what we really need to know. But you I know, mean, what? I think it's probably all this guy, right? Can I just say I mean, something? Is he also you, Russian? You're, you're, so you're you're right that like CNN is in the ring too, right? They're part of this fight. But the reason that CNN's never going to win this fight. Is that they no. can't fight it like Donald Trump can fight it, right? Like they right. are still holding. Like you know, there's there's three really respected journalists that worked at CNN that got a story wrong about Russia and they fire them, right? And they mm-hmm. fire them and they're like, okay, well now we're going to get our respectability back and this is great. And we're going to hold to a higher standard. What does Donald Trump do with that? He sees it as weakness and he pounces, right? Because like yeah. CNN is not fighting the uh, the same fight that Donald Trump is, right? Like they're trying to be an unbiased news organization. He doesn't give a shit. He's going to win every time. Listen, truth- in a way, they're playing by his rules. <laughs> yes. And so we've already lost. Truth- and also by even talking about this. We are playing by Trump's well, rules. I, I, like, we have finally me, say, got a guy in office that is obsessed with the media as the media is obsessed with the media. And he is happy to play along with us. He will do this all fucking day if, he, you know, if we let him. He will just tweet anti-media memes and the media will go nuts for the anti-media memes. And meanwhile, you know, the EPA is undermining climate science. And, you know, Texas is, you know, basically outlawing all abortions. Um, this, uh, you know, abomination of a health care bill, like, still might pass. Like, all this, the voter registration, the, the voter fraud fraud panel like we got nukes pointing at juno (laughs) i know you guys are talking about that back to the tweets (laughs) dan what were you gonna say sorry i was was gonna just make one point on for cnn and i think just dan has to go to to his his panel with jeffrey lord was it uncomfortable (laughs) for you dan to be having this conversation while sitting next to jeffrey lord (laughs) (laughs) sorry dan go ahead yes dan go ahead (laughs) I said there is no question that if this was if Trump had tweeted out a meme of MSNBC being beat up by in a WWE match, Andrew Kaczynski also would have spent time to find out who did that meme. That's true. Like that that guy, he that's what he does. He digs deep to find things, and so I don't think I I don't think anyone here was suggesting that, but I think it's unfair to think that he he went on that task on some sort of vengeance mission for CNN. Of course not. He's that's the man. He's he fantastic. He's one of the best reporter researchers in the media. Like, <laughs> yeah, like he's an amazing guy. It's CNN's lucky to have him. It's insane. He's this also a cat nuts. person, so I mean, you know. Like he, he he's golden in my in my book. He's but, one of, he's one of yeah, the but, smarter moves CNN has made in the last couple of years. Dan yeah. Pfeiffer, Andrew Kaczynski. Yeah, on one side, <laughs> and then you've got. Well, I'm not going to do it. I'm I'm putting myself on notice. Don't say the name. Don't you give him more power. So don't do it. <laughs> if you say it three times, he appears in your living room <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, and blames it tells you you're wanted in your office. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> uh. Anyway, so, I mean, I, I, I just wish CNN would get out of the ring. I, I wish that, you know, if you watch CNN for any length of time, which I unfortunately do because my husband's developed an interest in politics and that's what he, I guess it's like CNN's your starter kit, you know. Um, it's in it's insanely repetitive and it is almost, anytime they get a chance to talk about themselves, they will, you know. Yeah. And 
I, again, I believe in the project of a free press, obviously. Um, I mean, I think that's, you know, an American value, but we have to start using our freedom to do actual reporting and not just complain about being oppressed. Yeah. And I, I also think, and you guys probably talked about this, like they should definitely get rid of the White House briefing. Like people should just stop going. Like that's what I mean by they should get rid of it. I think reporters should end the White House briefing. That's so like, funny. Because you were still playing by his rules if they go. That's such a funny thing because... Like we our natural instincts, like John, Tommy and I and, and Dan, I don't know where you are on this, but we've all been just sort of like be, been sad about the decline of the briefing. But then every time a reporter talks to us, they're like, end it. Let it die. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it serves you guys better than it served us. You know, I mean, it serves the purposes of whoever's in power at the White House more than it serves reporters. I mean, think about well, like, I does think- Maggie Haberman go to the White House briefing? I don't think so. I don't think she does. Like, I think that, and she's probably responsible for more, like, hard-hitting Trump pieces about the interior of the White House than any single reporter out there, you know? And all the big stories about the Trump administration have been broken outside the White House. I mean, I think there's a purpose, the White House briefing. I do think there is there is a reason to have it and have it on camera and hold them accountable in real time. But if they're not going to play by the rules, then we should, we should take our ball and go home. I really think that. Like, we're the ones who have the power to just deny them coverage. And I, and I don't see a good reason to continue playing along. I think for the White House briefing, 95% of them in a normal presidency are a gigantic waste of time for everyone involved. The press secretary and the press office spends hours preparing for it. The reporters ask fairly basic questions. They all ask the same question over and over again. And by the end, they're just like making shit up because they've been called on. But there is the 5% of the time when... It is incredibly important for the White House to go out, go out and have to answer questions, either because Trump fired Comey or North Korea launched a Mitchell or whatever it is. And it's so it's we all sort of just do it every every few days and then wait for the day when it's actually going to matter. And that's why I worry about I worry about the fact that whether that now Trump makes it so it's like a voluntary activity. We'll decide to do it the day we want to do it, and we won't decide to do it the day we don't want to do it. And, and like that's I said, not so how they should play their should they should play their card, which is to not attend. They that they want to do it, the press should refuse to do it. It should be done on the press's you know time, not on the White House's. You know, like mm-hmm. I mean, I just and also I mean they should start just filming when they when they're being told not to film. I think the image of the Secret Service dragging a newspaper person, or not newspaper person, but the Secret Service dragging a reporter out of the White House briefing for the crime of turning on a camera, like would say a lot about this administration. Like the United Airlines. I feel as though I feel as though that photo of Jim Acosta is coming, um, and we should just be prepared to see it very soon. Yeah, and I, I also think there it'll be David Martasco driving great, him out. You know, and that it's not just limited to the people who are doing outside reporting. People, you know, Gemma Costa is fun, you know fantastic. There's a bunch of people who cover the White House on a daily basis. You know, Hallie Jackson, bless her heart, you probably talked about her earlier, like trying to get a straight answer out of Trump. I mean, I do think that if they got rid of the White House briefing, he might do more press conferences because he's starved for attention. You got it. You got it. He would just be dying to have someone pay attention to him. Yeah. So. And also, he he would have nothing to watch in the afternoon, since apparently, like that's what he watches. So that's his know. TV. I don't know yep. who's on the who's on with friends like these this week. Oh, I mean, a really got a really really uh, big get, guys. I got Neera Tanden. Neera Tanden. Don't, don't be too impressed. Don't <laughs> just I mean, hold off. I know, like you guys, are jaws are hitting the floor. But yes, friend <laughs> of the pod, Neera. Uh, we talked mainly about the healthcare bill. Oh, good. Um, she was one of the people I visited when I was in DC a couple weeks ago. Along with John Ward. I'm glad you guys like that podcast, by the way. I want to encourage people to go back and yes, listen to Yes, go listen one. to the John Ward it episode. Was great. It was really, really good. Yeah, no, he's a fantastic human being. And he's honestly one of the people that I was thinking about uh, interviewing when I first 
uh, started thinking about the podcast because he was raised evangelical Christian and was sort of a rarity in the you know DC journalism world as far as being someone who was temperamentally conservative and Christian and reporting like str- not reporting for National Review, you know. And he's just been on an interesting personal journey, let's say, um, about his uh, faith and about where he falls. I don't want to use the word politically because I think he would say it's bigger than politics. Um, but he's done a lot of thinking. Um, I won't, not a spoiler really, about race. And it's, it's brought him to some really interesting places. So I, I would like people to listen to that. I think John is a very smart, interesting guy. So go listen. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that's all the time we have for today, guys. We, uh, all right. We're signing off. A reminder, you can hear all the Crooked Media podcasts on Spotify. Oh, that's nice. Isn't that exciting? Our favorite place to stream music. I love Spotify. Me too. Also, always use Spotify. There have been advertisements in the New York City subways about how we're available on Spotify. And I think that's so cool. What big deals we are. (laughs) It's finally happening. Anyway, go to Spotify. (laughs) Find all of our podcasts. Well, everyone have a great weekend. We'll see you all next week. Love it. You have any (laughs) final Enjoy your freedom while it lasts. (laughs) I have nothing to add. I wasn't really supposed to be here. And yet, <laughs> here you are. There's, listen, the magnet of a microphone to me is incredibly powerful. The space between mm. me and this microphone is very dangerous. Mm. Positive America, signing off. <laughs> Bye, guys. Right. Goodbye, Bye, Dan. Bye, guys. Bye, Anna. Bye. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. You know, you know, you know. Have you been able to squeeze that special thing into your schedule, John? Yeah, that's. I think it's thanks to therapy. Therapy can help you find what matters to you, so you can do more of it, Mm -hmm. more time for you. I. uh... You know, because we've been doing what a weekday, mm-hmm. I actually put that in my therapy spot. You know, I, I replaced therapy with doing an extra podcast. Mm. It was a huge mistake. So, uh, what do you spend time doing at therapy now? Well, now I brought therapy back. I okay, added therapy good, back good. to good. another time because uh, it turns out talking that's going to make the jokes better. <laughs> well, it's really going to make things better for the team. <laughs> If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com PSA today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot PSA.